In this episode of the UX Hustle podcast, I have guest Cassie McDaniel. Cassie is a design leader at Webflow, working to build an ambitious, creatively empowering web authoring tool. In the past, she has served as design directors at Glitch and the Mozilla Foundation and has worked in healthcare, run her own design studio, and given talks in many corners of the tech industry. She founded Women in Tech, brought Creative Mornings and Hacking Health to Toronto, founded an event and workshop series called Paris Lectures, and now admins the Orlando Designer Slack. Though she lived in Canada for 10 years, she was raised in Central Florida and is happy to be back home, where she lives with her husband, two daughters, and a cheeky cat, Early. In this episode, Cassie talks about designing your career and reputation through all the twists and turns that life, tech, and design can bring you. And learning how to embrace change and how to use your skills for good and uncover what's important to you and ultimately making an impact while leveraging your design skills and strengths. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Worthington. The goal of UX Hustle is to help UX designers design the career they love, maximizing the benefit of this multifaceted industry and strong community. We talk about what's really going on in UX and what it's like working in it, and interview people that are actively navigating their careers and UX. We don't expect to have all the answers, but we do keep searching, keep listening, and learning. Because at the end of the day, you are the user of your career. Okay, great. Well, welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm so excited to have you, Cassie. Could you tell us a little bit about where you're at in your career right now and how you got there? Yeah, sure. This is, um, I'm really excited to to be here and doing this with you. I love your podcast. So I'm Cassie. I'm a senior design manager, product design manager at Webflow currently. In the past, I have been, I'll just go back. I'll work, I'll work backwards in time from where I'm at now. So prior to Webflow, I was design director at Glitch, which is another startup based out of New York. And then prior to that, I was contracting, I had a long contract with Adobe, which had come about from running my own studio with my husband. So we did that for a little while while our kids were babies, so we could have the ultimate flexibility. And then before that, I was design director at Mozilla Foundation and had just gotten there, you know, through UX, UI, through sort of visual design. I had studied graphic design in college. I went to uh, UF. Uh, University of Florida for their graphic design program, which was great. Um, and had, you know, moved straight out of Florida to London, England, and worked for digital agencies, um, small studios. I worked for an ad agency. I worked in a little innovation lab inside a hospital and gave talks about healthcare and design and sort of was immersed in that world for a while. Um, and then got back into the tech world, which was, you know, Mozilla and Glitch and now Webflow and um, really love the, the pace of it and the interesting people I get to work with and uh, huge problems I get to try and tackle. So it's all, it's all exciting. And I feel incredibly lucky to have had the, the amount of options, you know, the sort of, 
I feel like my path is somewhat circuitous in that I've been able to explore lots of different arenas and different kinds of uh, design and design problems and learn a lot every place I go. So yeah, and that's no exception with Webflow, still learning. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. years, still learning. Yeah, and with Webflow, I mean, I use Webflow for everything, for my website, UX Hustle website, my clients' websites. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited because Webflow is our, one of our 2021 sponsors for mm -hmm. UX Hustle Summit this year. And I, I love what you said about all the different areas that you've gotten to explore in, through design and how I feel like design is such a unique industry in that way of you can d dive into so many different aspects, like with healthcare and tech. And mm -hmm. how has that, how have you discovered that as you've gone through your career? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think back often, um, maybe because I mentor a couple of people who are at the beginning of their career, um, but I think back often to how it felt when I was first coming out of school. And I was lucky enough to have a degree that was very practical. It was very like, I can put this to use, you know, it was like, should I be a painter or should I be a graphic designer? And I think I'm really, uh, for whatever reason, I chose the, the easier path in many ways um, to do graphic design and a lot because it spoke to me in terms of combining words with pictures and just that communication aspect of it. But I think back to that early days when people were so worried, you know, fellow students were so worried about what am I going to do when I graduate? Like, where am I going to work? And for some reason, I just have always had the mindset of like, I can work anywhere. Like I, I see that this skill set can be applied anywhere. And I don't know that that was so true. Um, you know, 20 years ago, it is very true now and more so. And I just feel more and more validated in that, um, in that exploration, especially how we see service design becoming more of a thing um, and just so many different options. I think you could work absolutely anywhere in design. Um, and I is interesting. My husband is also a designer, but he studied computer science. So he started out in engineering and made the switch into design. So he's now also a designer. And uh, I've always said to him, you know, even with the sort of gap when you have kids you sort of have to take a bit of a break you can't you can't push it as hard as you did before kids and I'm like you know you'll have absolutely no problem going back into design because it's it's not so much a skill set that expires it's a way of thinking it's a way of approaching problems and that's something that I've just always loved about design and I've thought about it in terms of you know the design application so in literal UX UI designing and that that sort of easily applied skill set. But I think it's also helpful in management, you know, that the thinking like a designer, thinking through different problems, trying to understand where people are coming from. All of those are are mutual assets when you're just you're working, when you're employed. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. And figuring out how to work with other human beings. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the, the emotional nature of design and the emotional sort of being able to connect with other people, um, whether that's through something that they're using that you made or through something that uh, a service that they need from you. I think that's the really beautiful thing. And the also seeing design change so much over the years, like where 
product design wasn't even a term that we used. Um, and seeing these, these disciplines develop and go deeper has been really exciting because again, it's validating that's like, really, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you have fun with the work that you're doing, you could spend all day in user interviews, if that's what, you know, that's what makes you happy, or you could spend all day prototyping or getting more technical, or, you know, it's, it's really, there's just so many uh, opportunities for people who have different skill sets. And that's why I, ha I have also like, never been a huge fan of job titles boxing people in because you can really experience so much more and try so much more. Um, you don't have that particular mindset. That's so interesting. Cause I was going to ask you with, with all the opportunities that are out there of being able to apply design in so many different industries as these job titles and specialties are getting more specialized, I guess, um, mm -hmm. more specific, can that be overwhelming of how do I figure out where I fit in or do I have to commit to a specific industry or a specific area? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, of course it can be, of course it can be. I mean, when you don't have constraints, that's a very overwhelming <laughs> thing. Um, and part of it is on is on our industry. You know, right now we have a proclivity and, and actually Webflow is no exception of hiring more senior designers and not sort of um, investing in the mentorship that younger designers need to be able to know where they want to go. It's something we're, we're actively working on, um, but also just would love to see that more across the industry where people are just given the resources that they need to develop to become a more senior experienced designer right now it's like um we just expect people out of the gate to be able to have these this huge impact and it's not always realistic it speaks in my opinion a little bit to the fact that our design literacy as a culture has increased over the past decade we are just so much more familiar with design terms and the general public who are not designers are using tools like like Webflow um, that are really accessible and that's great, but we also need to invest in uh, each other and the community and supporting people to, as they grow in their careers. So I think it is definitely from a new designer's individual perspective going to be overwhelming. And that's, that's just part of it. Sometimes you have to do overwhelming things just to get through it and experience it and realize it's not so bad. Um, but it's also on the industry to try and support them. And hopefully um, we can, you know, hold, hold each other to high standards so that companies do that and we can uh, suss out the ones that are really going to support you in the growth of your career. Right. Cause I, and I love what you said about giving people the resources and letting them become the senior designer mm -hmm. of letting them have the freedom to, to navigate that but have the resources, the training, and I think the support to be able to be successful. Mm -hmm. Cause I always think about like a safety net of like, if, if you're supposed to fail, if you're supposed to fail and fail forward or fail quickly or leave room to acceptable failure mm -hmm. of how do you provide that support and that safety net so that people can 
learn quickly. Mm -hmm. There's a quote that I like. I'm kind of becoming known for my little post-it wall behind my computer monitor because I'm always pulling them off and saying, oh, here's a quote for you. Um, but this one I actually really like, uh, which was, uh, you are under no obligation to be who you were five minutes ago. Isn't that great? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me think of failure because I don't, you know, failure has so much baggage to that word. and. I really, really much prefer the word learning. It is okay to learn. It is okay to make mistakes, of course. If that feels like failure to you, then you know, embrace it. Like we want you to feel what you're feeling, but it's not exactly failure. Like what, you know, failure feels somewhat imaginary to me and very judgmental. So like whatever failure looks like to you, I just I think you can probably question that. Um, I come from a family that just has, you know, a vast, vastly different ideas of what success looks like and just different people in my family. And probably a lot of people have this, like, you know, some people value other things. I mean, this is true of everybody, right? Uh, you might value money. You might value comfort. You might value time with your loved ones. You might value, um, you know, whatever it is, helping animals. I don't know, but everybody has a different set of criteria. So this idea of broad failure doesn't really jive with that. I'm just, I'm just one for being more accepting of ourselves and where we want to go. And yeah, I think there's, there is room for all sorts. I'm like a very much a make room for everybody kind of person. <laughs> yes. And, and especially with, even with those values that you may have established of that they might change over time. Well, they absolutely of... do change all the time. That's mm -hmm. the thing, especially in design. You know, your tools are always changing. The way you think about it, your terminology is always changing. So, if you can't accept that as a part of your process, you know, it's going to be really difficult for you um, to persist over the years. Um, oh, that's good. Of <laughs> <laughs> like, it is a constant change and. Yeah that change is, is where the stability is, I guess, of embracing that change. Yeah. Change is the only constant mm -hmm. and it, it, it's not to say it's not hard. It is hard, but it is persistent and not something that you can control. You know, I, this last year has been so tumultuous for a lot of people. I myself was laid off um, before I joined Webflow. And those are things that are outside of your control. And oftentimes, you know, it doesn't always lead to something great. Sometimes it leads to something bad before it gets better. But a lot of times it's, it's just a, a different way of looking at something. And I just think that those multiple truths can be true at once. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, so at, at, as an example with your teams, how do you support that learning, support that embracing those changes? Mm -hmm. I, I personally think it's really important for design teams to be able to come at a problem the way that they are most comfortable. So some people, you know, and this speaks to my experience of working with designers who have different backgrounds, who have different strengths and weaknesses. And I like to build teams that can lean on each other, that can collaborate. And so, you know, really emphasize their strengths and not to have not have to spend time working on something that they find super difficult or that just doesn't come naturally to them. 
Um, so, you know, if a product designer is looking at a, a new feature um, or a new issue and wants to try and understand it, like, sure, we have certain guide rails of things that they can do. They can do some user research. They can do, you know, and there are ways to do that to preserve the integrity of that research. But generally, you know, you could make a prototype, you could do some sketching, you could host a collaborative jam session, you can just approach the problem, you can look at the data, you can approach it from so many different ways. And eventually you do kind of want all those inputs to try and round out your understanding of it. But when you're getting started, I think that there's a lot of flexibility in how you can initially approach an idea. And really, I feel like the creative process is so kind of both, it's both enduring and fragile. And so I, I tend to just embrace what comes naturally to people and try to foster that to make, help people feel comfortable doing what comes to them most naturally and um, just give them the, the resources to have whatever else they need to, to round out that picture. It's like a build your own adventure <laughs> based it, on oh, people's yeah. strengths, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Webflow is very much like that too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the beauty of it because it's so powerful, right? That becomes a strength. It's like when you look at Webflow versus some of our competitors, it's like the power of Webflow is that it is so open and you can do what you want with it. And it, it sometimes, you know, means that the learnability of it um, is a little bit higher. That threshold is higher, but, uh, the, the power and flexibility becomes a real strength. So I, I think that about the creative process and that sort of, um, metaphor holds. Absolutely. I mean, for me, when I was so happy, when I discovered Webflow, <laughs> like, cause for, when I had a lot of anxiety starting, um, having a design business and I, wanted to be able to show, I wanted to be able to have a website and build a website for a client that wasn't as tech savvy and be able to support them with that. And I really couldn't do that ever until I found Webflow. And that made me so happy from a, that like customer side of the user experience journey of, for my client, I wanted them to have that positive user experience from using the, using the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of our favorite, our favorite bits is that we're working on a product that enables and empowers other people to grow their businesses. It's, it's definitely, you know, I've, I've worked at like my experience in healthcare was very satisfying. It was very much like, all right, if we don't build this right, like people could genuinely die. And then my experience at, at Mozilla Foundation was like, I was working on the nonprofit side of things. So we were very involved in digital literacy and helping people understand. This was like early, early days discussions of misinformation, um, disinformation. And so a thread in my career is finding purpose and just making sure that the design skills that I have are being used for good. And in Webflow, I absolutely see that in particular, because I was also once in your shoes where I was, you know, a, a design service provider and just having tools to enable that and make it easier and have something that delights your clients and makes your business healthier, I think is really, that's exciting. And it's rewarding for us on the Webflow team to see that. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. That's awesome. 
I mean, and can you talk a little bit about finding purpose in your career? I know that's a very broad topic, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been a big advocate for that because just because, you know, if you can do anything with your design skills, like why wouldn't you want to help people or try and make the world a better place. And I, this is not, this is not of like design can come in and save everything. It can't, but if you're going to spend your years and your days working, why not work towards something that you think is a positive influence in the world, whatever that might be for you. For some people that is, you know, working at some of our more controversial businesses. Um, and that's okay because they're trying to change it from the inside. Um, or, you know, I, I just think that we have such a privilege in tech to be able to make choices that uh, have huge impact. And to me, that's always felt like a big responsibility. So I, I don't know how else to describe it because I, I know that um, not everybody feels that way or, and I don't want to sound um, like a Balatron or just you know, person who kind of knows exactly what they mean all the time. Um, <laughs> but for me, it just always felt like a responsibility that I needed to um, do something positive with these skills. And um, there are so many opportunities from like uh, the, you know, of course, the place that you choose to work and devote your 40 hours a week at. Um, but there are also so many other opportunities that I think were probably more of a, a stepping stone for me. So um, we, I, I pulled a group together and worked on a women in tech project. I um, helped helped make a hacking, bring a hackathon to bring doctors and designers together to work on healthcare problems. Um, there are just so many opportunities, and like even politically, probably in your local uh, government, there are opportunities to help design, uh, whether, you know, that could be product or service design or graphic design. There's just so many, so many options. It's like, once you start looking and paying attention, you, you find the opportunities to help. That's so true. And it's, and it's about that awareness of if you're looking for those opportunities and looking for ways to make the world a better place through the actions that you can take, you can seek those out and you'll usually be able to find those opportunities. Oh yeah. I think, I think they actually fall in your lap once mm -hmm. you, and, and then you have to, then you have the hard decision of like, well, which ones do I choose? <laughs> there are too many. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And I love that you brought up things that you you've established and done outside of work. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think sometimes we forget about all the other things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And can you, can you talk about that of balancing yeah. between <laughs> focusing on your career and then taking yeah. on these other, um, opportunities? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I don't think that they're binary. They're often one and the same. Um, I remember when I started writing and publishing articles, I remember it was, it was funny. It was actually, I wrote an article about how to quit your job and because I had just quit my job and I was sending it around to, to blogs. And I remember I sent it to one and they were like, yeah, we'll publish it. And I was like, Oh, great. But I had also sent it to another one and they were like, yeah, we'll publish it. And we'll give you 50 bucks. And I was like, 
whoa, I'm a paid writer. <laughs> this is amazing. But I, I, that act of like doing something that felt sort of peripheral to my career or even like just, a, okay, this is closing a chapter on a, on a job that I was leaving catapulted. It catapulted me into additional opportunities. From there, I went to, on to publish at a list apart. And then from there became an event apart speaker um, and got invited to other conferences and, you know, obviously as your reputation sort of snowballs, you can, you just have more and more opportunities available to you. Um, so I don't think that those things that we do peripherally or, or if we feel like they're outside of our careers, I think they're actually, they belong to it. And it's one thing that I've struggled with in the past where um, design leadership at companies maybe don't, aren't as supportive of social efforts or, you know, kind of reputation building. And I'm like, it's, it's as important for the individuals within the company and their career growth as it is for the company itself too, and trying to get new business. So I think those things are all part of the same thing. They're not, you know, they're not competitive with one another. <laughs> I can see I'm so smiling. happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> I have said the, I have had the same experience and mm-hmm. whew, yes, <laughs> all of that. I mean, and, and so how do you, if you're in that position where you're taking on these other social and reputation building opportunities and your design leadership doesn't appreciate it or sees it as a distraction. How do you, how do you have that conversation? Do you have that conversation? Oh my goodness. I, I, I mean, speaking for me personally, you know, in a, in a very privileged position, but also, you know, I've made sacrifices before. If, if a job is not aligning with my values, I tend to leave it and have always landed on my feet when I've done that. And, um, you know, there are different ways to do that. You can build up a buffer of six months savings and you can kind of try and put out calls to get a job lined up before you leave that one. So there are ways to do that safely, Um, but also just acknowledging that working in tech, there are lots of opportunities and it's very privileged place to be. But yeah, I generally just don't have that conversation because that's where it would tend to go. And I feel like most of the time though, I feel like if people see the the benefit of it and you are genuinely invested in your day job as well and you're you're doing a good job there, then I don't see the problem. Um, I think we've gotten a lot better as an industry of asking people to do work work outside of work hours. Um, what you do after hours is totally up to you. And I think, you know, if you're working on a passion project, something that you're passionate about, you know, that could be something that is benefiting your career. It could also be like in my case now, it's my kids, you know, that changes over the course of a long career. Um, I think that's better for the workplace if people are passionate and showing up and being present. Um, So, you know, I think you could, potentially explain it in those terms, but generally, um, 
I, I just think that if you're having that conversation, then there could be something that's misaligned with the values that you and the company both share. So that that's where I would just dig deep. I, it's not it's not necessarily the case of like you need to persuade somebody to to see the value of it. Usually, I think it's pretty visible. And like if there's a problem with it, there is probably something else going on. Right, and and that it's I see it like a learning also of. Mm -hmm oh, I didn't realize how strong a value that was for me. Now going forward, when I'm looking at other companies or other opportunities, I know to add that to my new criteria. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, every every time, I like to say that every time I've left a job, I've learned something and I've learned more about what it is that I value and more about what to look for in my next company. And uh, that's been really awesome because the further I get into my career, the more settled I feel and the more you know confident I feel in the places that I'm working. So that part is great because you understand yourself more, you feel a little bit more stable um, and you feel like you have what you need uh, because you have that understanding of yourself. Oh, I love that. I love that for you. <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling, I mean, it was not always this way for me, for sure. I've definitely had my ups and downs and um, probably will have more because it's a long, it's a long time that we spend working, you know? And it's that sustainability mm -hmm. of having a sustainable career that supports you over time and that, and giving yourself that flexibility of mm -hmm. as things in your life change that you're able to adapt and crank things up and down as you need to. Oh yeah. Oh, I feel that really, <laughs> you know, my kids are now seven and a half and five. And so, you know, we're kind of on the cusp of this new journey where my youngest is starting kindergarten, but we're just coming out of the baby phase. So it wasn't that far, that far behind me where it's like sleepless nights. And I, you know, I've never been so tired in my life. Um, and it just asks a lot of you where I thought like pulling all nighters or doing whatever to try and become a better designer or to push the limits or even in Toronto, you know, we were doing projects to try and raise the reputation of the city, like doing stuff like that, that really mattered to me. Don't matter so much when your situation changes and then it will matter again, you know, we'll come back to it. Um, so yeah, we had done a lot of community building. My, I'm saying we, because it was my husband and I ran our studio together and we did a lot of community building through design. And uh, we hosted an event series called Paris Lectures, where we would invite local creative people to come in and share their creative process. And it was, you know, it was all different kinds of people. It was painters, it was um, filmmakers, it was writers. And so just sharing in the sort of creative spirit uh, and we were really invested in that. You know, I was, I was attending those um, with our two-year-old. I was attending them when I was pregnant. I attended them with a newborn and we just kept it going, man. Like we, it was just all go. But when we moved to Florida, we're like, okay, that's the end of that chapter for a little while. We're going to catch our breath. And then I think we'll probably get back to it in, you know, another, I'm not going to make any promises, but another <laughs> set period of time, right? You know how it is. You're working on this conference and doing all the things that you're doing to keep your business going. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes My schedule's insane. 
it is the seasonality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You said that in your last podcast, which I was listening to. It was good. Um, (laughs) Thank you. But yeah. And things happen outside of your control too. Like a parent gets sick or, um, you know, financially you might have something that comes up. So it's really just learning to accept that change and rolling with it, expecting it, planning for it. And uh, yeah, makes it all a little bit more comfy. I love that comfy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's being, I think it gives yourself that grace of you don't have to be full speed all the time. Mm -hmm. You really can't be right. Like it's not it's not realistic to think that you can be full speed all the time, your whole career. I mean, some people maybe, you know, are blessed with like, they only need five hours of sleep or whatever. But sometimes I wonder if that's just, just telling ourselves that, right. Uh, You got to take a break, you know, you got to take care of yourself and have some downtime, but like all to say, you know, we're just really privileged to be able to do the work that we do and that it's, sustainable in this way now that this is a, a very valid career and it, it was not such a sure thing. Even, even 10 years ago was like, you know, we're all going to have bots replacing us (laughs) and, you know, we're we're, all of the design work is going to be automated. I just don't think that that's true. I just, I just think that there will always be space for, um, thoughtful, considerate, um, you know, intentional, rigorous, uh, craft based thinking. Um, I think that's kind of cool to be able to say that we can do that and that we do do that and provide value for our teams in doing that. So, and what you said earlier about it's like design teaching you how to think and how to problem solve. And that's such an invaluable tool and, you know, so transferable to so many different areas that yeah. it couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that one thing that's also nice about design is that you can easily make the leap between skill sets too. It's like, you know, should designers code? Um, it's like, yeah, if you want to think in code, like go think in code. If you want to think in words, go think in words, like writing and technology, um, engineering, coding, design. I feel like they're all different lenses to see and explore the brain, really. You're the human brain and all the sort of creative possibilities that are in there. Um, and it's just a lot of career longevity, I think, is figuring out what it is you need, your particular brain needs to, um, to keep it up, to keep it going and sustain yourself. Um, yeah. (laughs) I mean, so do you have any advice for a designer that is like, I have no idea like where to put my energy or my focus in my career right now? Maybe I'm in that tumultuous season and I want to get to the place where I feel stable and comfy, but I don't really see it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think my advice for people in that situation is to just, just try it. Just, you know, likely there is some opportunity that is staring you in the face right now and just give it a go. And you don't have to stick with it. You can always change it. You can make mistakes. You can hate it. You can love it and you can love pieces of it. Take what, 
those pieces are and then take them with you to the next thing, the next opportunity. Um, my big brother gave me some advice when I was just starting out, which was to try and say yes as much as you can when you're just starting out. It's a little different, I think, when you're further into your career where you need to start saying no more often. But if you say yes, you know, you're you're having an expansive mindset, you're opening yourself up to possibilities that you may not even know what the potential outcomes could be. Just say, just say yes. Know your limits, but you know, say yes as often as you can. And I think that will expose you to uh, whatever it is that you need to learn about yourself and the way you like to work or what you like to work on to give yourself some more solid constraints. That's so great. That's such great advice. Well, I, I hope so. Everybody's a little different, but <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, I have one last question. Sure. Of, and you may have heard this question already now. <laughs> Of if you're in an elevator and someone turns to you, it's another designer, and they ask you, how can I be happy in my career? What would you tell them? Uh, have you, I forget who says this. Um, it's somebody, uh, hell is other people. Have you heard that? No. <laughs> oh, I love it because it's, it encapsulates a lot of, I think, what has brought me uh, pain in my career is when I'm, when I'm thinking about what I think other people think of me or what I think is going through somebody else's head, an assumption of who that person is or what their interests are, or what they think of me and how I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that quote, uh, but it just made me think of like how we cannot understand anybody other than ourselves and our own, our own head, but we can often give people more benefits of the doubt than we might default to. And in doing that, you know, this is sort of a practice of my, my leadership coach. She's a, a mindfulness coach. And she says, you know, what, what would the possibility be, you know, if something such and such was, or wasn't true, you know, if you're making an assumption, if that is true, you know, what possibilities is that limiting for you? If that were, if that was not true, what possibilities would be open for you? And that is just such a, a way to get around any problems that you're having at work or with people, relationships, whatever, you know. And again, this is a case of like, know your limits, know your boundaries. Like, you, you know, you have every right to have those for yourself, I encourage. But also you have a possibility to look at things a little differently. That's like the beauty of... Um, being a designer. Can you tell I'm a Libra? I think I look at it from all different angles. <laughs> yeah. That's so like, funny. Well, I was going to ask what your Enneagram type is. My what? Enneagram. Have you taken oh, the Enneagram test? No, I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, it's it's an, the, the new personality test. Of, okay. There's nine different types. It's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll look into it after this. I'll send you a link. All I'll right. put the link in the show notes too. <laughs> and we can all talk about our Enneagram. We can all compare. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's thank you for all your advice and your perspective. I'm so excited. Um, where can everyone find you to learn more about you and continue yeah. learning about your journey? I'm I'm on Twitter. I've been on Twitter for like what? 
however long it's existed, too long. <laughs> so <laughs> too much time on it. Cassie Mix. So just my first name, C-A-S-S-I-E-M-C. Uh, Cassie Mick. And that's me. So that's where you'll find my my links and stuff. If you're not on Twitter, CassieMcDaniel.com uh, is my home base. But yeah, I would love to say hi. Thanks so much for having me. And I feel really privileged that anybody might listen to this story and get something out of it. But that would be a win. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the UX Hustle podcast. If you love this episode, please write a review and subscribe. To continue these conversations, you can follow us on Instagram at the UX Hustle. Join our Slack community through the link in our show notes. Or join us at the UX Hustle Summit September 24th through the 25th. It's our annual virtual conference, and it's the only UX career conference. So we'd love to see you there.